So the past two weeks we've talked about, or the past couple of weeks we've talked about what do hard times produce? What's the purpose of hard times? So if we can remember back to the first message, the first thing that happens when you're going through a trial, through a tough time, is that it confirms what's inside of you or it challenges what's inside of you. It either says, yes, you are that person of faith, you are what you say you are, or it says, no, you got some issues you need to deal with. That's what a tough time or a hard time produces. The second thing that it does, or the reason for it, is to glorify the Son of God. In other words, to glorify Jesus. Anytime that somebody goes through a tough time, a trial, a storm in their life with their family, your personal life, it's not for God to see you defeated. It's not for you to feel sad constantly or depressed. It is for God to get the glory through that situation. And we saw it through scripture with Jesus. Jesus is about to die. He's about to be crucified. And he says, the time has come so that the son of God may be glorified. Because if you want to see God glorified in your life, you will see it through the good things, but also through the bad things. And the third thing that we talked about, and the question was, what should your attitude be in the middle of a trial or in the middle of a storm? And it should be? Worship. You should worship. That's the only thing that can get you through the tough time and the storm. Then the fourth thing that we talked about, what does a tough time produce or what does a hardship produce in our lives? What does it produce or what does it do? They sanctify us. It sanctifies us. What does this mean? That it makes us more like Jesus. So we read in James, in the Libro de Santiago, in the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 2. And I'll read it again so we can recap and then we can get into today's message. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity of great joy. In other words, just because a hard time comes to our life, it does not mean that it's automatically going to produce joy. You have to take the initiative to consider it something good. Something good is going to come out of this. I may not see it. I may not feel it, but something good will come out of this. It says, consider it joy. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And so we talked about so many Christians, they're so easy to flee because why? They have no endurance. You never see an athlete play any kind of sports unless they have endurance. You have to have endurance to, for you to be an athlete. And the Bible compares Paul, he compares the life of a Christian as a race. In other words, athletes. And so you have many people that they never develop endurance. Why? Because anytime their faith is beginning to be tested, they run. That's why you'll see people that leave. You'll see people that say, well, I just don't know anymore. You'll see people that consider other things and they say, well, I just don't really know about that religion. And they call the relationship with God a religion. Well, I just, I really don't know. And the reason that happens is because people don't want their faith tested. But in order for us to be considered sons and daughters of Christ, number one, we have to accept Jesus. But number two, after we accept Jesus, then comes the testing. And here's the reason why. Today I'm reading scriptures from the New Living Translation so that everybody can understand. Here's the reason why. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 3. Oh, also, by the way, um, the notes and the verses are on the app. If you want to get on the Bible app, they're on there too. I put them on there, including last week's. And I put the New Living Translation, the NLT translation on there. Here's the reason why it is necessary for our faith to be tested. Number one, because that's the only way that we're going to produce endurance. You're not going to give up so easy. You're not going to say, ah, it's raining. I'm not going to go to church. Oh, uh, you know what? I just don't feel like going. I'm not going to go. That's the difference between a 
a Christian who truly believes in God because when you believe in God, you let God test your faith because with the test of faith comes endurance and your endurance will have a chance to grow. And the Bible says that you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. In other words, have you ever come across people that they need other people to go to church so that they can go because they won't go by themselves? You ever met people like that? I'll come to church even if my family doesn't come. I'll come to church even if my best friends don't come. I'll come to church even if it's, I'm the only one coming. Why? Because I need nothing. All I need is Jesus and he'll never leave me. Why? Because my faith has been tested time and time again, so I've developed endurance. People don't have endurance, and it's important that we develop endurance. It's important that our faith is tested. Why? This is what Proverbs says. It says, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Anybody ever just want to go buy a gold bracelet or silver, right? It's worth money, right? Would you just go to a place... That says, hey, these are gold. Well, we don't really know if they're gold 100%, but they look like gold, so it's gold. We're going to sell it to you at full price. Would you buy it? No. No. Why? Because it's uncertain. You don't know if it's fake. It looks like it, but you don't know because it has not been tested. See, when you let, your, you let God, when you let the circumstances in life test your faith, you're going to know that you're the real deal. You're not just going to be an average person that goes to church on Sundays or Wednesdays, and goes home and lives the way you want. You're going to be a person that is full of the Spirit of God. When you let God test your faith, you become a person that goes out and tells people about Jesus. You become a person that it doesn't matter where you are. You pray for people. You, you share the love of God. You don't just go to church because your friends go. You go even despite if your friends go or don't go. So the Bible says, fire tests the purity of silver and gold. But the Lord tests the hearts because tough times will test the purity of our Christianity. There are so many people that follow all these uh, YouTube uh, preachers and all kinds of stuff. and like, oh, that's so cool. That's so good. Oh, my God. And then comes a trial and a tough time. But whatever they believe in, it doesn't sustain them. Why? Because it's only the word of God. It's only scripture that's going to sustain you. It's only the word of God that's going to keep you in the middle of the storm. And then the second thing that we talked about is tough times, they impulse us, they push us to get into the kingdom of God. Why? Because there's a lot of lack of character. And I, t- I told you guys a story about the metro in, in Mexico City, when there was pressure and, and, and all of these things, it, it came crashing down and, it, and it, it got, it messed up completely and it destroyed people's lives, it killed people. Why? Because pressure and trials, they're going to reveal your character. They're going to reveal the lack of your character or your true character. That's, that's what happens. And so these trials, what they do is they impulse us, they push us into the kingdom of God. Why? This is what the Bible says in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 14, it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In Spanish, it says that through many tribulations, we ought to enter the kingdom of God. What does this mean? It means that there are people who will only get close to God if they're going through a tough time or through a trial. It means that people will only get close to God if, um, um, if something's going terrible in their life. And that's why you'll see people that go through tough times because that's the only way they'll stay close to God. I told you guys a story about the guy who got, he was going through something terrible in his family. He came to God.
gave his life to the Lord. Then everything was sorted out. We prayed and then he left. And then another thing came and then he came back. Remember, I told you guys that story. There are so many people that that's the only way that they're going to get close to God is if something terrible like that happens. So today I want to talk about promises. Because when we go through tough times, when we go through situations that are hard and that we don't understand, there are so many emotions that rise up in our hearts. There are so many emotions that rise up um, in, in, in our conversations and the things that we see and how we start to see things. Things start to change in our lives. Things start to change the way that we see things. It starts to change. So my question to you is, what do you do when hard times come? What do you do when betrayal all of a sudden appears out of nowhere? What do you do when pain shows up at the door? What do you do when everything was going the way you wanted it to go, the way you dreamed that it would happen, and then all of a sudden, all of that comes crashing down? What happens to our hearts? What happens to our minds? What do we do? And in tough times, one of the things that I've noticed that so many people do is that they make promises to God. God, I promise. I I was talking to pastor and uh, he was 16 years old when he started his trip to come to the United States. And then he got here when he was 17 years old. And he said that when he was at the border, he said, Lord, if you allow me to get to the United States safe and sound, I promise that I will serve you. Well, guess what? He came to the United States. He got here safe and sound. Did he serve God? Now he does. But at that first time, he didn't. And then what happened? He ended up going back. And then he came a second time. He said, Lord, I promise you, just skip me there. I promise you that I will serve you. I promise. I know I didn't last time, but I promise I will. And you know what? God is such a forgiving God that he took it into account. He got here safe. And now, obviously, as you know, he's our pastor. So he serves God. So he held up his end. But what ends up happening so many times is that we make promises that we cannot keep. We'll make promises to God. We make promises to our family. We make promises to our loved ones. We make promises to our friends. We make promises to ourselves that we know from the beginning that we're not going to keep. We try, but we don't try hard enough because tough times will produce something in us. And we, for some reason, are not disciplined enough to know this is just an emotion. The Bible says count the cost. Before you speak, before you build something, count the cost. What is this going to cost me? And unfortunately, words now, in this day and age, have no weight. They're just words and nobody believes it. You can say, I promise I'm going to go. I promise I'm going to buy that. I promise. And the promises just become something that means absolutely nothing. Good words produce promises, but bad character breaks those promises. And we're going to see it through Scripture today. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26. And we are going to read about this man named Peter. Peter is a good example because Peter, in the midst of trials, in the midst of problems, we can learn something from the life of Peter. Matthew chapter 26, and we'll start from verse 31. I believe it's 31. I didn't write it down, but I believe it's 31. And I'm reading in the NLT translation. It says the following. It says, on the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead. uh, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will what? Never desert you. I will never leave you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me 
three times that even uh, that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all of the other disciples vowed the same. In other words, all of the other disciples said the same thing. Now let's jump to uh, verse uh, 69. Verse 69. It says like this. It says, meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. Now, in between this, what happened? Jesus went. He was uh, betrayed, betrayed by Judas. They took Jesus before the council. And then this is the nighttime. After this conversation, it's within the same 24 hours. It's actually within 12 hours that this has happened. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside of the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone and said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said later, he said later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was sitting with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it. And this time with an oath, I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be the one. You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. What can we learn here? We learn the following, that Peter makes a promise to Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens, I'm never going to leave you. Doesn't matter who comes, I'm never going to desert you. And all of the other disciples said the same thing. But if we read scripture, the moment that Jesus is crucified, you don't see any of the disciples there except one disciple. Where are all the other disciples? Where is everybody else who promised, who the Bible says that they vowed to never leave Jesus? Peter went as far as to say, it doesn't matter even if I have to die, even if I have to give my life for you, I will give my life for you. What happened? Peter made a promise that he could not keep. In other words, Peter made a promise based on his current situation. You know, many people make promises based on their current situation. They say, well, I'm going to go to church now. God, I'm going to go to church. You don't have to say, I promise. But you tell God something. And the problem is, is that so many people tell God, I'm going to go to church now. Yeah, I'm, I, God, I'm going, to, I'm going to do better. But it's only as long as you're in the current situation. Because that's the same thing that happened to Peter. Notice that Peter makes all these promises to Jesus. Because in his mind... He does not think that something negative will ever happen. In his mind, he doesn't know that Jesus is going to die. That's why he says, even if I have to die, I will. Because who wants to kill Jesus? Nobody wants to. Life is great. Life is perfect. Nobody wants to kill Jesus. So he makes a promise based on that. And how many times have we made promises based on our current situation? Well, everything looks good. Everything looks great. God Anything you ask of me, I'll give it up for you. I'll do it. And God takes you at your word. And then when God comes and asks and says, you know what, that relationship, it's not from me. That relationship, that friendship, it's time to give it up. You say, no, no, but, 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 but you promised. God is not a man that he should lie. He doesn't expect us to lie to him. But how many times have we lied to him in his presence? How many times have we said, God, I promise I'm going to do this. God, I promise I'm going to seek you more. I'm going to read scripture more. I promise I'm going to win those people for Jesus. But then time passes by. You know what happens? Is that the emotion left, the commitment, it's gone out the door. And you think because 
It doesn't matter to you that it doesn't matter to God. But God is not like us. God is someone to take serious. Because you can take God at his word. If God said he's going to be there, that means he's going to be there. But how many times have we broken our own promises, even to our own selves? But we want God to take us serious. You know what's so interesting? Is that Peter makes this promise to God. And when a tough time comes, a hardship comes, who does he deny? He promised it to Jesus, but who did he deny? Jesus. You know what we do so often? Is that when man lets us down, you know who we take it out on? We take it out on Jesus. Jesus had nothing to do with that, but we take it out on him. The problem with us is that when a tough time comes, a tough situation comes, you think because you go to church, you're exempt from that. That's not true. The Bible tells us because we're sons and daughters of Christ, that means that tough times will come. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. You have nothing to worry about. But when a hardship presents itself, who's the first person that we leave? Jesus. Oh, I lost my job. Oh, my relationship didn't work out. Oh, my, my family, they're going through this. The first person that we throw to the curb, that we kick to the curb is who? Jesus. We stop going to church. Oh, I just got to, I, I have a right to feel sad. I have a right to be angry. I have a right to, do, no, you don't have a right. Because that's pure human psychology. People tell you, you need to, you need to swim in the pain. You need to feel the pain. And then you got to let the pain go. No. Pain does not belong in our lives. The enemy may throw pain at us, but this is why we must take the attitude of worship. Because if we embrace the pain, what ends up happening is we become addicted to the pain. And when you become addicted to the pain, you start to step away from Jesus. Because the Bible says that every good thing comes from above. The Bible says that the blessing of God addeth no Sorrow. In other words, things that come from God do not come attached with sadness or depression. So God cannot live. Jesus cannot coincide with, with pain and with depression. Now, he may use it to get us closer to him, but I can guarantee you, if you think something's a blessing from God and it comes with pain, it's probably not from God. Because God will not give you things to bring you down. God's not going to give you things to see the destruction in your life. How many times have we promised things and we can't go through with them? We've promised God. You might have promised God, God, I'm going to, start, I'm going to stop smoking. I almost said start. Can you imagine? I promise I'm going to start smoking. No. I promise I'm going to stop smoking. I promise that I'm going to stop drinking. I promise that I'm going to stop having sex with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. I promise that I'm going to stop cursing. I prom and you have all of these promises, but you haven't stopped to count the cost. Because anything regarding sin that you have to let go of is going to cost you something. Because anything that's real is going to cost you something. And let me tell you something, sin is real. And sin will grab a hold of you and will not let you go. And you have to pay a cost. You have to pay a cost. Now, Jesus will forgive your sins, but he won't save you from those consequences. And there are consequences that we have to live because of our decisions. Can you say amen? Amen. So I, I, wanna, uh, I don't want to make it too, too long, but I want to start closing out.
because I want you to really think about this word because we have way too much Christians that talk a big game. You know, you ever heard that old saying, uh, what is it, uh, walk the walk or talk the talk or whatever it is? How, how does it go? Don't, don't talk the talk if you what? If you can't walk the walk. Yeah, I think it's something like that, something along those lines. And I want to read you something from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 5. Because talk is cheap. But you know what? God loves us so much, He knows we're not going to follow through, but He gives us a chance. Because He says, maybe this time. Maybe this time, he or she promised, and maybe this time they'll follow through. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. says, It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. See, when we make promises and we don't keep these promises before God, it's equivalent to sin. And it says, and don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry and he might wipe out everything you have achieved. You ever ask yourself why people lose everything? People in ministry? There's people that have a promising career, promising ministry, promising family. Like, wow, that's an amazing family. And all of a sudden they lose everything. You want to know why? Because there were promises made and then they hold up their end of the bargain. Because there were promises made in the presence of God. And then he holds up their end of the bargain. I'll tell you guys uh, something very intimate. Sergio made a promise to God years ago. It was probably over 10 years ago. And if you pay attention to any of the word that's ever given to him, the Lord always reminds him of that promise. He says, because you promised me. Because you promised me. Remember the promise. I held up my end of the bargain. Now you hold up your end. And it's always talking about this promise. And I asked Sergio, I said, what was the promise? Then he told me. But the thing is, is... Part of the reason why Sergio's at Christ for the Nations in Bible, in Bible school is because he's fulfilling his end of the bargain because of what's to come, because he promised God. So he said, Lord, I'm not going to marry. I'm not going to date until I first fulfill the promise that I made you in my room. That's somebody who holds up their end of the promise. It doesn't matter how much it costs. You don't think that somebody at his age wants to get married? You don't think that somebody at his age wants to date, wants to have a girlfriend? wants to not have to live with a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds. He's 30 years old. But there's a price to pay because he promised. And so this is what the Bible says at the end of uh, verse 7. Talk is cheap like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. Ecclesiastes in Spanish, it says the following. It says, Donde abundan los sueños, también abundan las vanidades y las muchas palabras. Mas tú... Teme a Dios. Fear God instead. Why do I read this? You ever talk to somebody that always talks a big game? Que siempre está soñando? They're always dreaming. They're always like, yeah, man, I, I, I have a, well, he's a family member, unfortunately, but he's always talking about, man, yeah, you know, one day, you know, I just want to donate a bunch of money and, and I want them to na name this library after me. It's going to be called such and such library. You know, one day I want to donate a bunch of money to the city and I want them to build a park after me. And, I, and dude, pay your bills first and then talk about. Because somebody who daydreams, somebody who's constantly talking about all of these dreams, you know what happens? There's lies in the midst. And in Spanish it says, Donde abundan los sueños, abundan las vanidades y las muchas palabras. In other words, where there's abundance of dreams, there's also an abundance of vanity and an abundance of words. In other words, empty words. Don't let your life be that way. Don't let your speech be that way. And I want to close out with the following. The Bible says in Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, it says the following. It says, 
Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant? In other words, who pardons the sin of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. I want to tell you something. If you are that person who's promised things to God, who said, I'm going to go out and evangelize every Saturday. Oh, I'm going to tell people about Jesus all the time. God, I promise that I'm going to do this. Or you've made promises to yourself. You might have made promises to God. You might have made promises to your family. The Bible says that God is such a great God that he forgives. Because he delights in showing unfailing love to his people. And all God wants to do is show you his unfailing love. So there is forgiveness. God's not going to stay mad at you. Can God be mad at you? Modern Christianity is going to tell you no. The Bible tells you otherwise. Yes, God can be mad at you. Psalm says that he is angry with a sinner every day. Oh, but I thought he loves a sinner. He loves a sinner, but he's angry with him. Your parents ever been mad at you? Raise your hand if your parents ever been mad at you. Okay. Do, do they still love you, though? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're not going to let you out and, and, and morirte de hambre. You know? Vente para acá, bueno como grosso, tú que desobediente come. Okay, well, thanks. Right? But they love you. And it's such as the same way with, with God. He's angry with the sinner, but he loves the sinner. He's angry with him. And so Jesus came that we might have peace with God. So I want to ask you to stand to your feet.